Prepare yourselves for a journey through history. Get equipped for adventure. Grab your power gloves and super scopes, for it's dangerous to go alone. This is the Legend of Retro. Welcome to the Legend of Retro podcast. I am Craig WK, and with me is my buddy, The Glitch. Hey, what's up, Craig? How you doing? Doing pretty good. I I'm I feel like this is going to be a weird one to talk about, but I'm kind of excited to be talking about it. Yeah, you picked this game this week. Because uh, I always choose the weird you ones. You do choose the weird ones. Uh-huh. And we're doing Enemy Zero for the Sega Saturn. Yeah, so this was released by Warp for the Sega Saturn on November 24th, 1997. This sci-fi survival horror adventure depicts the terrifying events aboard the Aki spacecraft as Laura Lewis fights to stay alive against an alien threat. Yep. Uh, the design and story was by Kenji Endo. Kenji Endo is absolutely kind of one of the big reasons I wanted to talk about this game. And actually doing research on this game, I became a fan of this gentleman. He's a madman. He, well, was a madman. He sadly passed away way too young. He died like in his 40s. Wow. He had like a, a, some kind of heart condition. I don't remember exactly what it was. Uh, but yeah, Kenji Endo... Uh, uh, led a really crazy life. He like didn't originally wanted to get into video games. He uh, like lied to get his first programming job. Oh yeah. And you want to know the funny part is? Yeah. He didn't know how to program. So when they found that out, they like they had a like a meeting with him, and they ended up sending him over to a music division. Kenji Eno typically does the music in a lot of his own in. A, all the warp games because yeah. warp was his own company but like starting off he was doing like uh music for for maybe even light program but i think mostly music for uh like a lot of licensed games like for sunsoft and stuff okay and he just got burned out he didn't like that he felt like he was kind of working for the man and so he moved on and i mean i, I want you to think of a very very uh logical choice for next step for him so he like a, liked music right yeah he yeah, did the yeah. composition so maybe live performances no uh he did have a band but no he, his next job was uh like as as some kind of consultant for a car magazine what <laughs> right <laughs> he ended up doing that and then uh, uh i guess and, and this is another story i heard and this one i didn't necessarily fa- fact check as much uh but i'm I, I have under, it under pretty good authority that Kenji Eno then went to his like boss's boss. It was like, hey, I want to start a video game company. Give me money. <laughs> and the guy was like, yeah, okay. And the guy like gave him money and he like he started up warp. I mean, that just shows you the charisma that he had. And like we'll get later into some of the stories about that, you know, we we came across yeah, yeah. with Endo Eno. But uh yeah, it's amazing that he basically took no knowledge in programming, and and now he has all this like franchise and stuff. Uh, I did see that he did Panic Restaurant for the NES. Yeah, so yeah. So he did the music and the the game programming. Yeah, he uh, uh he, he's done quite a few games. Like uh, he worked on like Sunman the for Sunsoft, which was originally going to be like a Superman video game. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't think it ever got released though. I think okay. it's like you can get a hold of the ROM online or whatever, but. Uh, yeah, the the other crazy thing is how Enemy Zero got started, and that's that's another crazy story from him. So apparently, what happened was Kenji Eno had worked on a game called D, and it ended up getting shipped to like I think Sega uh, 
Sega CD maybe, as well as uh, 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 PlayStation. Uh, maybe it was even Sega Saturn at that time. I don't remember, but uh, it looked like D was no, it wasn't Sega Saturn, but it was. Oh, maybe it was strictly PlayStation. It was strictly then. PlayStation. Okay, is what I saw. And so uh, a little bit for these people, for the people listening, uh, this is technically in the D series. So there's a list kind of games. Of, yeah. And there's three of them. There's D, which you're talking yeah, about. D. Enemy the, Zero. Uh-huh. And then D2. The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> quack. No. Quack. 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 Uh, but, yeah, so uh, the the link between all three games is that there is a character named Laura Lewis. Yeah. Now, it's the same Laura Lewis in D&D 2, to the best of my knowledge, but in Enemy Zero, it is a completely different character that oh. borrows her name and appearance. Really? Yeah, because this one's sci-fi. The other two are like more modern day. Okay. D's another uh, survival horror great because it's real twisted. Like Kenji Eno snuck stuff in at the last minute himself, like after the censors got a hold of a copy, went through it, and they were like, okay, yeah, it's teen. He then went in himself, <laughs> apparently with like rumored to be like no help, and then added in a bunch of stuff that was like way scarier than the censors would have allowed in order to make sure that the game was edgy enough. <laughs> Dude was a madman. So Kenji Eno though didn't like what Sony did with his game on for D because in D, uh, with D, they had promised him, apparently, like, I don't know, like, they would ship 120,000 copies or something. And then they, like, just decided not to, and they shipped, like, 40,000. And they ran out. And so people, like, wanted the game, but there weren't any copies out there. But, like, people wanted it. And so Kenji yeah. Eno felt totally betrayed by Sony. And so at a Sony press conference, a Sony press conference, mind you, not, like, E3 where it's everybody, Sony's own private press conference Kenji Eno showed the trailer for Enemy Zero at the end the Sony logo slowly morphed into Sega Saturn and he burned all bridges with Sony yeah yeah I saw I saw isn't that ridiculous as soon as I read that I was like oh man I, I like this guy I like what he's doing here <laughs> that's ballsy right there it is it's crazy and yeah so like so Kenji Eno I mean the the Kenji Eno had a lot of like anxiety issues and like he he like for a long time he wasn't in a very good place mentally and then he ended up having like these heart issues and stuff. So like his health was never that great, which is a shame uh, because it would be great to see him nowadays, especially when you have like, you know, you have auteurs like uh, Kojima. You know, who does like a game like Death Stranding and it's like you wander around and deliver packages and there's these slime monsters and time travel and like monsters and, you know, and it's just like, oh, my God, that sounds ridiculous. I would have loved to have Kenji Eno making big name games like Kojima as another auteur that could kind of just be like, oh, yeah, you think your game's weird? <laughs> Look at this. And so, you know, it's a shame that he, he's passed on. But uh, uh, but let's chat a little bit about the the gameplay. That Kenji Eno kind of did with Enemy Zero. Uh, what gameplay? It's weird, right? There's like nothing. Like, I, I, and I was watching this playthrough because I have no experience with this game. Mm -hmm. When you said Enemy Zero, I was like, "All right, what's that? Uh, <laughs> look it up." Uh, it's it's a little bit like Mist in a way that you're walking yeah. around. It's first person view, and you're clicking, trying to solve puzzles a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the pace of the game was slow the entire way through. It is a very, very slow game. Like it, it's it's a very tense game. Uh, when you get to the the parts where there are quote unquote combat. Yeah. Air quotes on that. Not to say that there's not combat, but it's big air quotes on that one. Uh so the 
the the big thing with Enemy Zero is yeah, you have these like FMV scenes. Uh, where you see plot, you like are kind of on like rails, so to speak, and you go around a room and you can like find, you know, evidence and like clues and you like you said, kind codes, of like, yeah, yeah, codes and like puzzle solving type stuff, you know, you know, punch in codes to get through rooms. It's, you know, reminiscent almost of like what you'd see in like Resident Evil and stuff, you know, basic puzzle solving stuff. Sometimes a little on the weirder side, but you know, nothing too crazy. The really weird part of enemy zero is when you have like free reign and you're just walking around these maps because the, the, the enemy in enemy zero are aliens that are invisible. Yeah. And so you can't see them ever. Nope. Until they're dead. And so like what Laura has in order to combat this are uh, they're, they're basically like these like little, I think they're like in her earrings or something like that. They're it, like a sensor. A, yeah, it's like a thing in her ear. Yeah, yeah. And it beeps. It's like a spidey sense. Uh huh. Yeah. And so it's like, and like if an enemy's getting close, it's like, and like basically when you hear that noise and you figure out where it's coming from, you have to shoot the alien. But you have to guess. You have to take, yeah, you have to like do your best to figure it out. So if you go down one tunnel and it starts beeping, like terribly and you back out go to another hall and it's not beeping as much well feasibly you could run away too that's an option but you know you sort of triangulate where this alien is hunting you from figure it out the best you can and then you sort of wait a moment because you don't just have like a machine gun that just opens fire and just shreds everything you have a short range like charging laser pistol Mm -hmm. and you have to charge it. But if you keep it charged, it's going to overheat. And so it's this weird, like, really high-pressure, tense combat system, which I really appreciate for a game like this, you know, because it's a horror game. Because once you're got by the aliens, you dead. Yeah. Insta-death. Yep. There's no, like, health bars. You know, once you die, you go back, you know, and you start over or whatever. Or start, you know, going back to your last save. And so even though it's, like... Arguably not the best of gameplay choices, I think, for what Kenji Eno was trying to do, make this really tense, atmospheric kind of, like, sci-fi horror game, I think it almost kind of works, you know? Yeah. I, I don't think it's for everybody, mind you, but I think for big fans of survival horror, it's probably definitely worth checking out. I do appreciate the difficulty in the whole system, and so this gun that you have to charge up uh-huh. to shoot, you also have to keep it recharged. So there's like stations around oh, the yeah. ship where you have to go and charge your gun. Because uh-huh. if you don't and you run out of power, guess what? You have no bullets mm-hmm. to fend off these enemies. And like you said, you touch, you're dead. Yeah. And I mean, if you get really good at the game, what you can do is you can kind of figure out where the the these invisible aliens are and then avoid them. Like you can just kill what you have to kill to get through the game. And I'm sure that's like when it comes to speed running, that's what they do. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's probably a good chunk of the game that you can just, if you know what you're doing, skate by it. But, I mean, if you're putting yourself into the place of someone who's, you know, let's you know, say got your lights turned off and you're sitting alone in like a basement or something and it's just you and the TV and it's making this like horrendous beeping sound and you're just like you panicking, you don't know when to shoot and stuff. That's really funny yep. to me. You know, that's great. I, You could also, so you did mention about saving. Mm-hmm. Another thing they have in this game is it's like a, it's like a walkie type of thing device that you can save your game in. So you can pretty much save whenever you want. And that's pretty nice. But that also only has like a certain charge. Yeah. You can only save so many times yeah. as you go through the game. And like, you know, if 
nowadays that seems really kind of, you know, counterintuitive to getting people to play through your game. But I think, you know, at that time it was kind oh, yeah. of like a way of like, hey guys, you know, not only is this something that you can't just rent and beat over a weekend because, you know, you got to figure out the game and you only get so many saves and you got to get good at the game. Uh, you know, it was probably a way to combat that type of stuff. Uh, but also, I think it's it's to put more pressure on you. Mm-hmm. Now, could you recharge that device? I know. I believe it's all based on difficulty settings. I think that okay. if you're on like the easiest mode, you get like 99 of them or whatever. Uh, okay. And if you're on the hardest mode, you get like 12 or something. You know, you only have so many. Yeah, I think it said like 64 was the was like the normal difficulty. Yeah, I think that's average. And I don't remember the numbers offhand, yeah. I, but I think easy mode gets you even more. And it, it's not that you have 64 saves. It uses like four or something every time you save. <laughs> so technically yeah. you only have like 16 saves to do. Uh, yeah, it's it's not mm. a super easy game. Like once you know what you're doing, yeah, okay, you can fly through it. Yeah. But that's only when you've mastered everything, you know, you when you practice. Because there's like a, a practice mode where you can, uh, uh, it'll show you, you know, like, hey, here's the, the sound, you know, here's the... Uh, you know, the radius of the the alien and stuff. And, like, you know, so you can kind of, before you really start playing, spend some time in, like, the practice mode or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did see there was multiple modes mm-hmm. to, to get some practice in. Uh, so we do you want to get into the story now? Yeah, so the story is, is one of the bigger draws to a game like this. So I'm not going to go, like, super, super in-depth, I don't think. Okay. You know, let's not spoil anything in case there are any, like, hardcore Sega Saturn fans that haven't played this game. Then we might spoil it. I don't know, because uh, there's not, there's honestly not like to the basic plot. There's not a ton, and I I appreciate that because, you know, let's face it. There's there's a fair amount of survival horror series, Resident <laughs> Evil, bless me, that are convoluted and kind of dumb. Yeah, you know, don't get me wrong. I you know. Building on a on a story and expanding it and stuff, I, I don't mind that. But when you're like jumping into a later game in the series and it's like Wesker, I thought you were dead seven times ago, and he's like, ah, yes, but I've injected the the J virus in me. Oh, but you had the T virus. Now I'm a super zombie mortal, and it's like, oh my god, I just, I how am I supposed to care about this? Right, I'm not. You yep. know, it, it's and I get that it's also supposed to be a little cheesy in a series like that. You know, but in Enemy Zero, I. Laura Lewis wakes up from a cryogenic sleep on the spaceship called the Aki that's heading to Earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently there's been like an explosion and it like, you know, knocked her out of her cryogenic sleep or whatever. And so she calls up one of the crew members, Parker, and, you know, to find out exactly what's going on. And something finds Parker. And like she doesn't see what it is, but this like Parker grabs a gun, tries to fight it off, and gets mutilated. And, like blood splatters around and stuff. And like she sees through this monitor him die. Yeah. And she like freaks out, and you know she's she's got to pull herself together and basically figure out exactly what's going on. And as you go through, you start finding out that it's very reminiscent of the movie Alien. It is very much, very, very much, and, and even more so later in the. And we don't want to spoil anything, but there is a like a scene where I was watching. I was like, <laughs> yeah. "Yeah, it's just like kind of an alien." You oh know? yeah, it's very, very reminiscent of Alien to the point where yeah, they were stealing from Alien yep. for sure, and, and that's a little you know disheartening to think that like Kenjiana was just like whatever, we'll just remake <laughs> Alien, you know. But at the same time, I give him a lot of credit for doing something cool with the, the and yeah. unique with it, you know. Maybe not necessarily in the story aspect, but like, you know, the gameplay and the mood and atmosphere. I have a question. Do you know yeah. what this game was rated? I actually forgot to look up and see. 
Oh, uh, you know, I'm not entirely sure. I okay. believe, if I had to wager a guess, I would say probably teen or mature, right? Okay, because you did say the thing about him with D, he would go in after the game was rated and add things to it. So I was curious if he had done something with this, because there is a full nude scene at the beginning and at the end of this game. Oh, yeah, that is true, I, I, which is a little weird. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's a little iffy and weird. Uh, so I was curious if that was something that he knew, like, oh, this will get a mature rating. Maybe I'll slide this in after <laughs> production is done. Because with something like that, I mean, you're going to lose a lot of sales when it goes from a teen to a, to a mature rating. Yeah, I mean, I, I would... Oh, <laughs> Ooh, uh, while I'm looking up, the uh, computer didn't like that. Uh, so as far as that goes... Yeah, the, I don't see anything, do you? Yeah, I'm not seeing anything uh, as far as a uh, rating goes, uh, aside from like just what people rated the game. Right. Well, uh, I mean, if you know, uh, jump in our Discord and let us know, because yeah. that was something I was curious about. I forgot to, to double-check the rating on it. Doesn't say on the box, does it? No, I'm not. But speaking of the box, box sorry, real quick, because I know we're getting a little drilled. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Laura Lewis was voiced. Oh yeah, by uh, Jill Kniff from Luscious Jackson, the band. Uh, they're famous for their song "Naked Eyes," which I had to listen to. I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard this song. Uh huh. It was like a top twenty hit, like back in the '90s. And, but watching the playthrough, she doesn't say. Anything oh. until the very, very end of the game. Well, you know what the the thing with that is is she does I uh, I uh, like if you I uh, there's a way to listen to what's previously happened, and so the playthrough probably didn't do that. But she and it's a pretty unemotional reading. But she basically is like you know blah 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 like. So such and such, you know, Parker is dead, yada yada. So she does do things like that okay. as an option. So like the playthrough probably just didn't bother because you're going through and watching the whole thing all at once, you know? But yeah, she does do other voice work, but she doesn't really I mean, she has a, a pretty unemotional voice going through it because it's, you know, just reading as a log. It's not meant to be in super emotional. Well, I just thought it was moments. weird that in all of the cutscenes, I mean all of the cutscenes, they're like yeah. they're like this, you know person Kimberly who she she finds uh it's one of the first persons she interacts with is like oh my god how are you doing and then your character says nothing she goes well I'm glad you know we you made it alive and then nothing <laughs> and yeah, like, she's, she's like just a, one-way conversations she's like a pseudo silent protagonist and it is it's kind of weird and I don't know if that was because they they wanted to you know sort of play up the 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 you know plot later you know you know twists later in the game or whatever if they wanted to play up on that aspect or because I, I think she was a silent protagonist in D so maybe it was like they wanted her to do some speaking but not a lot okay. but at that point it's like why didn't they just give her a little bit more personality yeah i don't know who knows i uh, but yeah you know i i would say the the voice work is is not the best you know for its for its era it's probably pretty good though you know, because let's face it, the voice work in PlayStation, Sega Saturn, oh, yeah. and Nintendo 64 era was trash. It was a rough time for video games. And we were all amazed at the time. <laughs> we like, really were. This is the future. Mario 64, it's never going to look better than this. Siphon filter. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, yeah, it was, you're not wrong. It was a rough era for video games because, you know, you if it was not polygonal, garbage it was like fmv stuff and yeah. like at least it wasn't live action fmv or was it i don't think 
right? No. Yeah. Sega CD. Oh, no, no. I mean, like, yeah, there was that, but, you know, not Enemy Zero. At oh, okay, okay. That's okay. what I mean. Oh, yeah. okay, I gotcha. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, no, there was live action FMV and it was trash. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, yeah, we can say that in complete <laughs> agreeance. Chops isn't here. We can trash talk Sega CD all we want. <laughs> Listen, the second CD has a few gems. A few. Two. Yeah, like two. Maybe a third. <laughs> Maybe. We're going to get some heat for that, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, if you look at it objectively, like, you know, like, there's plenty of, of systems that I look back very fondly, like Virtual Boy, where I'm like, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> and everyone's like, no, Craig, it was that bad. I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was it was cool. It was the- you're, you're lying. <laughs> you're lying. <laughs> you like the monkeys. You know, they don't play their own band or music. No, you're lying. <laughs> so. So anyway, with Enemy Zero, the the story is, to me, it's not as quite as important as the atmosphere. But if you're a fan of the movie Alien anyway, if you like survival horror, you'll probably appreciate some of this stuff, you know? Yeah, there's definitely a strong connection between the two. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I would say that at least, you know, the the atmosphere and mood of the game are quite a bit different than, like, if you made an Alien game, I think. But, uh... Yeah, all in all, yeah, very yeah. reminiscent of Alien. So uh, mm-hmm. when you come to, you know, Parker's dead, it's like the first thing you see. Yeah. Um, and you can get onto this, like, intercom thing mm-hmm. that has ways to communicate with everyone in the rooms. And the ship's kind of designed where it's, like, towers. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a there's a tower where you and, like, three or four other people are on this one. Mm-hmm. And then there's another tower where... Like George the scientist and David, who is you'll find you know who is your love interest. Yeah, they reveal that pretty early in the game. Um, they're like over there on that one, so you kind of have to like work your way through one of the sections before you can even get to the second part. Yeah, which conveniently they put on disc two. I think. Yeah, it was <laughs> one of the discs. Like as soon as you're like, all right, I'm about to enter this tower. Insert disc. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The uh, I. I, I will say, you know, they, they do a pretty good job, even though she's a silent protagonist, they do a pretty good job of not making Laura Lewis seem like just like a dainty female character, you know? Because, like, a lot of games back then were not exactly kind to women, you know? Yeah. They, they you know, so, I mean... Yeah, because, I mean, she's the main character. How, how often is that for a female lead, especially at this time? Of video not, games. Yeah, not often. I feel like there's definitely been this turn in the last, you know, three, four years where there's a lot of main female protagonists. I We're mean, seeing it more and more, which is nice. You have Horizon Zero Dawn. You have Celeste. You know, you have all these games, uh, Hellblade. I mean, it's, it's definitely made that turn where it's kind of more acceptable now. But at this time, yeah, you didn't really see the main lead as a female character. You had Laura Croft and she was all... play that. You had Laura Croft, who was ultra-sexualized. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and then that was a, another part of the issue, is like when you had female characters, it was like the guys working on the games were like, well, uh, <laughs> increase the bus size by like 40%. All right, good, ship the game. And I it's mean, like, you know, and that's not good. Like I mentioned, she's nude in this game. Yeah, that's not great. You know, that's, that's uh, uh, you know, not good. Nope. <laughs> no. it's Even she gets sexualized, which is weird. And is not needed at all. Hmm. So there goes that argument of uh, you know for this game. So there goes my argument right yeah, out sorry, the window. Greg. Thanks Does, for reminding doesn't me. Doesn't work. Uh, but I. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, as far as that goes, Enemy Zero is real 
just a real interesting uh, uh, game. And like you know, let's face it, Sega Saturn had a pretty good, a pretty decent library, you know, all in all. But I don't know, I I don't think it had a lot of survival horror games on it. Not not many I can think of because it didn't really get a lot of like ports of like Resident Evil, did it? No, I you know my Sega Saturn uh, library inside of my collection is probably one of the smallest ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I maybe have like eight or nine games, and yeah, I don't think any of them are are horror. There's a lot of like um, race car driving, and mm-hmm. I think it's like Quake Arena things like that. Yeah, so something that's a little bit more first person graphics. Uh, well, that was another issue the Sega Saturn had is it was not exactly the best at 3D graphics. You know, it it, it didn't handle it quite as well as the PlayStation or even the N64. And that's why a lot of the people were stunned when Eno wanted to make this transformation. You know, this this going from PlayStation to Sega Saturn. A lot of the gripe he got was like, uh, are you sure it can run your game? Because uh-huh. we see the PlayStation as a more superior system. Yeah, and I mean, at that point, Eno was just so intent on burning that bridge and getting rid of Sony. He was just so mad at them. And I mean, you know, you really can't blame him when, you know, when... When you're promised like 120,000 titles sold or, or or made to to sell, and you get capped out at like 40k, and you sell out, it's not like you know, it's not like they hit 20k like or 40k made, but only 20k sold, and he was just like it was a big flop. Like everything they made sold, so I mean, I completely imagine he was just like these guys are idiots. I'm out of here. There's no way this is happening to me again. And you know, there, there's a there's a, a a real petty part of me that totally understands that. Right? No, I get it. And I think he made the move he made was really slick and really. Mm-hmm. Sl- I love it. it. Yeah, it is. It is awesome. Um, so I know you don't want to reveal too much of the story. Are, are we going to stop there with the story? There was one thing I was going to mention about the gameplay. It's not really too much of like a spoiler, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. No, go for it. Here's a little bit of a spoiler warning, apparently. So go ahead, um, uh, Glitch. So at the very, towards the very end of the game, there's this last chamber you have to go through. Mm-hmm. And the earpiece, the kind of, you know, the earpiece that tells you when the enemies are near, dies. <laughs> so you have to get through this one chamber and you get guided by someone in the game. And he basically tells you, like, oh, you know, stop, there's an enemy in front of you, turn right, turn left, things like that. So I thought that was cool uh-huh. that you're like, oh, man, I got this game down pat. I know when to shoot the enemies. I got the system uh-huh. down. And then at the end, it's like, well, guess what? We're taking that <laughs> away. And that's a really great way to do horror yeah. is is to to establish something, let the, the player, or, you know, sometimes it's a watcher, but in this case, it's a video game. So the player, you know sort of get comfortable with their tool that they have that protects them yep. and then rip it out yep. from their hands. Take it away. And then you just feel that overwhelming dread. That is an amazing piece of horror right there. Mm-hmm. You know, So even if it's not the greatest survival horror game, even if it's a really weird one and not for everybody, this game has some cool stuff going for it for sure. Yeah, like I said earlier, I think the difficulty of this game is really cool. It I interests me a little bit. makes me want to play it. But unfortunately, the game costs like 150 bucks online. Yeah, it's a lot. So I'm not getting it. And that's a, uh, another issue, too, is uh, apparently Sega Saturn is infamously a pain to emulate. And so 
I would love to see Sega come out with a Sega Saturn classic, like they did their Genesis Mini, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of like how Sony and Nintendo have done, and like Konami's doing with the Turbo Graphics in the next uh, year here. Uh, you know, I'd love to see that, but I don't know if we ever will. Did the Genesis Mini have any uh, Sega CD or 3DX games on it? Nope. No See, 32X. I think nope. that would be really cool to kind of do all those in one bundle. Because, I mean, their libraries aren't as big as, like, the Genesis. I feel like the Genesis by itself has enough games that are quality enough to oh, have yeah. a system. So that's why they came out with the Mini for the Genesis. But I feel like you couldn't really do that with the other add-ons. Well, here's the the thing is... Hacking and emulation is your best friend there. It's true. You know, it's it's you know, it, I I I don't I don't want to be somebody who perpetrates that. It's a very illegal act. I don't <laughs> recommend it. However, that is what the hacking community is all about. Don't do it. But it's so easy. <laughs> don't do it. But this tool they've made makes it so convenient. But don't do it. It's wrong. Bad. It's bad. It's real bad. So I got a little bit about the reputation for this game. By all means. Uh, I found that the ratings for this was all over the place. Okay, now that doesn't surprise me entirely just because it is such a weird kind of divisive game. Like you're either, I feel like you're either going to love it or hate it. Yeah, and, uh, game rankings gave it a 60%, which is kind of middle, middle of the road. Yeah, middle of the road, but I mean, that's not what you want to hear when you've made a game. No, Electric Playground gave it 8 out of 10. Mean Machines really? and gave it a 90%. Really? And M Games gave it a 37 out of 100. <laughs> which, yeah, okay, all over the place. Which their reasoning was a lot of, it's just an alien ripoff. So they just okay, felt like yeah. it was kind of cheated as far as the whole story and environment. I mean, they're not wrong. They have a point. I mean, but like, you know, it, I don't know. There, there's a lot of, of video games out there that, you know, borrow heavily from from stuff like that and like you know you you sort of have to take it with a grain of salt like it is it is kind of its own thing even if it's not you know yeah because a video game is quite a different experience than a movie of course um i did also see because this game is expensive now but even at the time Mm -hmm. they had this exclusive box like limited edition thing did you see this oh no yeah, so uh, there was 20 copies of a limited edition Sega Saturn version that sold for roughly $2,000. What? Yeah, and these copies were hand-delivered by Enno himself. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Hindsight's 2020. I would have uh, loved that. It said that in the 2012 Guinness World Records Gamer Edition, this has the record for the most exclusive special edition of a game ever. Wow. Yep. And I did find a list of like what was in it. Oh, yeah. It's like a crate, and it's got the big like E0 on the side oh, of it. Oh, that's stamped. cool. Um, it comes with a copy of the game special edition. It comes with a full set of the outfit worn uh, by the companion girls at the Warps 96 Tokyo Game Show. Okay. Uh, it has a towel embroidered with the EO logo. Uh, it has model of an enemy corpse with blood, bloody liquid on it, <laughs> uh, metallic bookmark, uh, okay. flyer, and ticket of the Enemy Zero art exhibit held in '96. A set of the press release back when they used to, you know, print those out. A VHS video of the music clips. <laughs> a, a large 3D sheet. Uh, a set of stickers. Uh, a T-shirt and a replica gun that Laura uses in the game. Wow! And actually, it uh, says. Documents and floppy disk, envelopes, papers, all the stuff with like lo- the warp logo on it. 
Wow. Yeah. So it came pretty set. Yeah. Had a lot of stuff with it. I, I thought that, you know, I mean, don't be wrong. I, I think that, you know, even today, if you're like, Craig, do you want to go with this time machine and, <laughs> and like go back and spend all this money? I'd probably still be like, nah. But I. Uh, but man, that's some cool stuff. And the fact that Edo has to knock on your door and be like, <laughs> hey, here you go, man. That's great. I think that's cool enough in itself. I mean, it kind of is. It kind of really is. Can you imagine if Kojima like did something like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, what a... I know it was such a madman. Oh, yeah. love, love him. Miyamoto's so knocking on your door because you just got this like Super Mario special edition. <laughs> would the uh, We Would Like to Play guys join him oh, yeah, from the Wii? Yes, that would be amazing. <laughs> we would like to play. Oh, I kind of liked those weird commercials. I, I love them. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Uh, I do have some Easter eggs. Oh, what kind of Easter eggs are uh, there? So there's two of them. Uh, first, if you set the Saturn's... Internal date to January 1st, the battery saver on your, uh, that's the handheld thing that you save on. Yeah. It changes from 64 to 99, no matter what difficulty setting you have. That's pretty cool. Happy New Year's. And George's gun is fully charged when you find it. And it can do three shots. Oh. Yep. Uh, another one is if you set the game, t- or I guess it says if you play on December 25th, but it, you could probably do the same thing where you change the internal uh-huh. clock. Um, you get an extra message on your battery-powered data recorder, but I couldn't find what the message was. I tried oh. looking for it. I searched everywhere, and I just nothing came up. Is it just like, whoop, Merry Christmas? Maybe, yeah. Huh. Speaking of nothing coming up, let's talk about the speedrunning. There's nothing. Wait, really? So nobody has a record for this? Nothing I could find. I searched everywhere I could before. I remember telling you when we did the... Orphan Sorcerer Scion episode. Yeah. I had a really hard time finding the speedrun yeah. stuff, but I ended up finding stuff. And there sure, was, sure. There were two people who had you know back and forth records going on, but this game nothing. I if you remember, I even found one for Nagano Olympics. There were records for <laughs> Nagano Olympics online. <laughs> nothing for this game. Really? Yeah, I was kind of disappointed. I, I mean, if anything, that's opportunity. Shout out to our community. If you want, <laughs> if you own a copy of Enemy Zero. You could be a speedrunning champ just beating the game. It looks, I mean, it looks like you're most of the part of playing this game from the playthrough I watched mm-hmm. is having to sit through all those cutscenes, though. I wonder if there's a way to skip them by, like, because I know uh, for PlayStation, there were some games you could, like, open up the disc tray, close it in the midst of an FMV, and it would, like, reload to after the FMV. Yeah, that sounds like a myth, Craig. Is it? That sounds fake. Is it? I don't know. I, I mean, I heard that that was some, true for some games. I don't know if it is or not. Your disc gets so scratched, you can't play it. And that's how you skip it. <laughs> yeah, actually, that could be. Maybe that's uh, what I'm thinking of uh, now that I'm uh, you know, reminiscing. But, I mean, even if you skip the cutscenes, I mean, everyone still has that same advantage. It's, it's a lot of just like traveling from A to B and punching in the code. So I, I don't know if there's really a lot of, since there's virtually no combat other than charging your gun you know, every mm-hmm. once in a while, there's not a lot of time to save. So I guess that's I don't true. Know, maybe that's kind of why no one really goes for this game as far as speedrunning. Yeah, maybe there's no way to like trim down yeah. really, you know, what you could do. Like the the best you could do is the best for everybody. Yeah. Basically. And I feel mm-hmm. like I mean, I'm sure a record exists for this game. I mean, I did watch a playthrough of it. That could be the current record. Oh yeah. But huh. uh yeah, as far as all the the websites I use to look up most of the stuff, I couldn't find anything for the game. Wow. Yep. Interesting. Shout out to our community. You could be an enemy zero speedrunner. Do it. Totally do it. I don't know how you would do it. Maybe first, you got to pay it. 150 bucks or, <laughs> yeah. or hack your Sega Genesis. Mini. 
Uh, ooh, I don't... Uh, the second Genesis Mini might be able to. I mean, you could put pretty much any, any emulator you want on it, I think, once you hack it. Yeah. But so, yeah. They might frown upon emulators, too. So that's oh, yeah, too. that's something to consider. Uh, I tell you what, though. I uh, want to jump into the music. Let's do it. All right, let's hear a uh, word from our sponsor first. Hey, it's me, everybody, Tim Kittrow. I'm here to talk to you about Old School Gamer. Old School Gamer is the magazine for gamers. It covers arcade and retro gaming, gives you gaming history and in-depth interviews with people like me who are there, and it lets you know what conventions are happening and when. Issues come out once every other month, plus a website full of even more razzle-dazzle, and it's all for just 30 bucks a year. So visit OldSchoolGamer.com and subscribe now. Whoa, all right, so the music for this game is perhaps one of the most interesting aspects about it. I would agree. It is composed by Michael Nyman. Yeah. Michael Nyman, you might know from such games as... No, 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 yeah, no, 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 no other no, video no. games. Perhaps you maybe know him from the movie The Piano. Or maybe you know him from operas like The Ogre and Facing Goya. Nyman is a famous is famous for his movie soundtracks, operas, string quartets, and such things. The story of how Eno got a hold of this guy is insane. It's cool. Yeah, you got the. Yeah, I do. So, so Kenji Eno was involved in an event where Michael uh, Michael Nyman had donated pianos to a Japanese uh, a few Japanese uh, schools because uh, of the Kobe earthquake of 1995. It was this really bad earthquake. Michael Nyman stepped in to kind of help out with like their art programs and stuff and, and was donating pianos, which are pricey, you know, that's really cool of them. Apparently, Kenji Eno like, went to the, the hotel, they were both staying at the same hotel, uh, likely in Kobe, uh, Japan. I'm not sure exactly where it was, but likely there. And Kenji Eno invited uh, Michael Nyman up to his room to like chat and stuff. And for six hours, Kenji Eno tried to convince Michael Nyman to work with him on a video game. After six hours, finally, uh, Michael Nyman said uh, something to the effect of, uh, like, okay, I'll do it. Just let me go back to my room. Yeah. He basically, like, kidnapped him <laughs> yeah. and kind of forced him to, to do the soundtrack. And uh, he went on an interview and said, uh, Eno, said... Uh, I like Michael Nyman a lot. Uh, I like his soundtracks. So I was thinking it would be awesome if I could get him to do the music. I thought that would be impossible, but it'd be great if it happened. <laughs> and then when he saw that he was in Kobe uh, for that event, he was like, here's my opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> How ridiculous. This guy was such a madman. Yeah. And I mean, he's Nyman is a, a Golden Globe nominee for his music. For I think it was the piano. Yeah, and basically, like the timeline would be like he did the piano, he did this, and then he went and did Gattaca. Uh, like he basically like stopped in the <laughs> middle of his famous career to do the soundtrack for this game. To a video game, it is his only video game, and I, uh, I gotta say, the music in this game is phenomenal. Yeah, it's really good. It's very, very good. It, and it's here's the weird thing, though, is it's so not like other video games, certainly for the time. Like, nowadays, you have more orchestral games, like, you know, uh, uh, even Uncharted, which you've covered. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, like, you know, all these very orchestral, movie-esque sounding uh, video games. You know, and you can even argue, well, you know, Dragon Quest Eight had a symphony do the soundtrack for, like, the American version. But this is 96. 
Right. This is 96. And to top it off, this isn't just a video game composer who had an orchestra. This is a guy who like was doing movie soundtracks and operas. Oh yeah. Operas. And some of the 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 songs in this game are very reminiscent of that. And in fact, uh uh what's kind of interesting is uh Michael Nyman took some of his previous work, kind of worked it into some of these video game tracks, maybe to save him a little bit of time, I don't know. Uh maybe just cuz he liked the sound of it and felt it it fit and uh uh uh, to top it off, some of the songs in Enemy Zero that were original got worked into some of his later work. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, that's really interesting. And apparently, uh, Michael Nyman fully committed to the Enemy Zero project after a, uh, uh, an interaction afterwards with Kenji Eno. He had committed himself to the project. And so he came to Kenji Eno and was like, here's, here's my stuff. And Kenji Eno listened to it and was like, no, I don't want this. Go back to the drawing board. What? Really? And and that's when Michael Nyman said he was like, okay, yeah, I'll work for this guy. Like he he knows. Like I didn't put my A game into that. Like I didn't care because it was a video game. And he isn't willing to take that. That's amazing. Isn't that great? Yeah, love this. Just the whole lore behind Enemy Zero is insane, and I yeah. love it. And it was a wild man. Yeah, it just totally insane. I love him. So. Let's go ahead and listen to uh, a couple of the themes. Uh, the first one here is Laura's theme, which is a little bit softer. It's a little bit more kind of maybe not sad, but maybe a little melancholy, you know, a bit of melancholy to it. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, give this guy a listen. It's hard to describe. It's I wouldn't say necessarily sad, yeah, but it is kind of emotional. I would say it's sad. There's a lot of tragedy in this game, mm-hmm. and I feel like this song fits every time. There's that you know something big happens, and then she's just there by herself. This song just fits it perfectly. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, 
Now, the next track uh, that we have is a theme called Enemy Zero. And this one's a little bit more exciting, uh, a little bit more, you know, tense. Uh, So let's go ahead and give this one a listen as well. Like that, how the uh, kind of the horns kick in, yeah. and it's because uh, like at first when I'm when you're hearing the song, it's like okay, it's, it's tense, but there's not too much to it. But yeah. like once the the horns kick in, it's like oh yeah, I like this. Yeah, it starts off with a lot of strings, cellos, and then yeah, when the horn, like you said, when the horns come in, it it really kicks up. Oh yeah, I. Uh, so yeah, the the music to the game is super solid. I I would love for them to come out with a a vinyl record of it. Well, you just got to get that $2,000 box out there, Craig. <laughs> and a time machine. <laughs> I'm sure they're around. They're flowing around somewhere. What did I say? There were 200 of them? 20? No, there was 20 of them. That's right. I'm sure they, they must occasionally go on eBay for like tens of thousands of dollars because they're super rare. You got to save up those dollars. I want to save up those dollars. I'd rather be doing other things with dollars. <laughs> I... But yeah, I I mean the the game all in all is super interesting, and even if the game itself is kind of like, well, I mean it's a it's an okay survival horror, like just the story behind it, the music, just all this really interesting weird stuff with Kenjiano himself is super worth looking into. Yeah, uh, what that, are your final thoughts on the game? I will say that's it, basically the the whole fascinating development of this game, how it came about, the transition from PlayStation to Sega Saturn, <laughs> yeah. like that's just amazing. I love it, and that's. So, I mean, honestly, watching this game, seeing it, it's like a one out of ten, basically for me. <laughs> but that just kicks it up to you know, like a you know a C minus, basically, because I thought it was really cool. 
Yeah, it's the the history behind this game is super interesting to me. I shout out to a YouTube channel called Stop Skeletons from Fighting. Uh, they do a lot of like weird video games and stuff. And uh, I followed the guy for for quite a few years on YouTube, and uh, he's actually the one who did a video about like D. Uh, Enemy Zero, D2, and that had me just like, oh wow, these are really interesting games. So even though I've never really experienced them myself, I wanted to bring them to everyone's attention because it's just like, there's just, it's so cool the story behind the game. Even if you have no interest in playing it, at least I got to tell the story of the game. And now we have Sega Saturn covered. Oh yeah, now we have a Sega Saturn <laughs> game. We don't, uh, yeah, we're we're trying to make sure we have all our bases covered for all uh, systems out there. So, one more down. Next stop, the Wii. Oh yeah, yeah, we still haven't done that. It doesn't feel retro as it, retro. It to doesn't. Me. I mean, but we've done a PlayStation Three. We've done Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. Yeah, but those don't feel that retro either, even though they are, because we're old. I'll agree. I'll agree with that. That we're old. <laughs> on both fronts, yes. I see. Well, I tell you what, Glitch, let's uh, go ahead and uh, jump into our retro relapse. Jones in for a classic game? It's time for Retro Relapse on the Legend of Retro Podcast. Retro Relapse. All right, Craig. You weren't ready for this one, were you? No. I, I was not ready for this one. Uh, we played Double Switch. On the Sega CD. Which, as you know from us talking about it earlier, not fans. Uh, I mean, there's, you know, there's some games on the Sega CD that are neat. Sure. (laughs) Like this one? (laughs) No, not like this one. This is like another one of those weird... There was a weird fascination with live-action FMVs in the, what, mid-90s, essentially? Yeah, so it was like 95, 96, 97. Yeah, and, and like, video game makers were like, this is the way of the future. And everyone was like, are you sure? And they were like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, we're not sure. But we're going to do it anyway. And Double Switch is stupid. Yeah. It's like, so what was the story? You're like this guy who who's like a trap master or something? So you're like trapped in this basement, and it, the character is played by Corey Haim. Uh-huh. And you have to <clears throat> save your friends who are in this hotel from being captured from this enemy. And do we even know who the enemy is? I, you know, I really don't. They're the just, mob, just guys in suits. That's the 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 government. <laughs> are your friends aliens? Xander noticed one of the guys looks like Q from Impractical Jokers. <laughs> I don't. But was so weird. But so how the game works, and it's kind of like Night Trap. So if you've ever played Night Trap, it's oh. very similar in that it's yeah. that it's that Voyager kind of camera angle. So you're just kind of watching what's happening in the room, and when they get to certain points in the room, you have to set these traps and turn them on and the enemy gets captured. If you don't do enough, you lose the game. The controls are so clunky that like like cuz you have to like press button, go into like the room and then press another button to like like ready the trap and like nothing feels very intuitive. So like it it just was really awkward trying to set these traps. And the worst part is is that they require a lot of timing. It's not like you can just go into the room, set the trap, and you're good. I had done that at one point and then nothing happened. And then Corey Hame popped in, was like, yo, man, if you do this again and mess up, you're fired. And it's like, 
Corey Haim, uh, if I could find you right now on the street and beat you half to death, I would, because you're so snotty <laughs> in this game, and I hate you. And I yeah. mean, he's dead, so. Uh, oh. If I could get a shovel <laughs> and go to your... <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I R.I.P. to Corey. How do you like that? That I show so much respect to Kenji Eno and then Corey Haim. I'm just like, I'm gonna dig you up and beat you up. Yeah, no, that's that's horrendous of me. I apologize. No, that's okay. So, I mean, this game's not great, so I don't blame you. <laughs> it was really bad. But no, I agree. so the timing uh, is you have to know the timing. Uh-huh. You have to know what trap because there's multiple. There's two traps in the room. So depending on what side of the room they're on. You have to kind of know that it's a lot of trial and error. There's no way you're going to play this game and complete it in the first playthrough. Uh huh. Yeah, it's impossible. There would be no way. E- well, even if you knew where everything was, the controls and crappy, crappy timing is is another matter altogether. Uh, but with the fact that there's two traps, you can't just like set one almost so it's ready to go off for both of them at the same time, or the power overload and they'll uh, be set. Uh huh. Yeah. I I mean uh, the. The notion of playing a game where you're setting traps for people, I feel like there's there's something kind of neat about that idea, but this game doesn't pull that idea off in the least. And I gotta say, all these weird live-action FMV games, they give that like weird voyeuristic kind of creepy, unsettling feeling to me. Yeah. And I mean, isn't that the reason that Night Trap got held up for so many years? Was that the like the rating settings? Like, wasn't that the reason the government had an issue with it? I haven't done enough research into Night Trap. Because yeah, uh, we haven't done that episode, right? No. Yeah. But, well, it's also kind of, I mean, <laughs> it, it's, how do I put this delicately? It's like soft core uh, word that starts with a P that I probably can't say on this show. Uh, I it, It's, it's, it's kind of weird and gross. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're watching like preteen girls. And teen, teenage girls or whatever, like, through monitors, and, like, you're, like, kidnapping them or they're something? They're dancing, they're singing. Yeah, it's like a... Let's sl- have a pajama party. You're watching a children's slumber party. That's weird. That's true. That's really, really weird. Very, very <laughs> weird. And Double Switch isn't much better. No, there's a part where there's, like, a rock band singing. Oh, God, like, it was so bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I forgot all about the rock band. Yeah, that was trash. It's hard It's hard to really watch because there's every, there's stuff going on pretty much in all of the rooms all at the same time. So it's kind of like there's just this video footage playing in each of the rooms. And so as you go into the room, it's at that certain point of the video that's playing. So you can kind of, like, miss interactions. Yeah. So in the tough part about even enjoying the game is that by the time you get done setting this trap on this one guy, you go back to whatever room you were kind of listening to a conversation in, and you missed everything. Uh-huh. So that's, yeah. Yeah, so, like, I, I can appreciate the ideas behind this game, setting traps, spying on people, learning clues and stuff, but, like, it's not handled well in the least. Like, crappy controls, the creepy live-action stuff. It's just all in all is is just garbage. And uh, and I do want to mention mm-hmm. we didn't get to see him in it, but Arlie Army from Full Metal Jacket and like Saving <sighs> Silverman. I love him. He was in this game. We didn't get a chance to see him. Arlie Ermy. Ermy. Yeah. He played right. the handyman. Man, Arlie Ermy is great. He is awesome. He was awesome. R.I.P. Arlie Ermy. You're way better than Corey. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to give this on the 8-bit scale, Craig? I I I feel like there is gameplay and there are ideas that are good. And when I say there is gameplay, I just mean that it exists. 
I'm not saying that it's good. Just that the, the gameplay exists. It's bad. Uh, the ideas behind it are good. Arlie Ermy's a nice bonus. Two out of eight. And that's being very, very giving. I am a two out of eight as well. Yeah. And I was kind of the same boat. It's really just a one out of eight. It, it really is. But there's there are interesting ideas at I, work there. I do like Corey Haim's charm. And I, I was kind of a fan of him growing up. Maybe I would have liked it more if I was winning in the game and not perpetually like losing and having Corey Haim yell at me. Yeah, he was always like, you made them get to the power box. Now we're all shut up. Oh, yeah, Corey Shut Haim. up, Corey Haim. <laughs> Shut up, Corey Haim. Why don't you get off your butt and do something? <laughs> yeah, the, 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 I, I, yeah, no, thank you. I, this is not a game for me. I don't think it's a game for anybody, but there are interesting ideas and it has Arlie Army. That's true. So it's got to count for something. I, uh, but I tell you what, uh, Glitch, do you want to chat about our music bracket? Yeah, uh, we are. Wrapping up round three. Yeah. We these got good songs. stuff. Oh, man, these songs. I, it, it's getting tough. It is getting exceedingly difficult. And this one, to me, is a, is a, it's really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. We have uh, uh, the first song up is uh, both of these are for the Super Nintendo. Uh, the first song up here is from Street Fighter 2. This is Ken's theme. Uh, this is definitely a, a fan favorite. Uh uh, Ken's theme from Street Fighter 2 was composed by Yoko Shimomura and Isao Abe, uh, who who just did great work on Street Fighter 2 because really all the themes in this game are phenomenal. But Ken's is one of the standouts. Ken's is a, a very popular one. Let's go ahead and give it a, a bit of a listen. It's amazing. It might be one of the best video game songs like ever made. It's just so good. The whole soundtrack on Street Fighter 2 is amazing. We ended up having three entries in this bracket just from that game. Oh, we did. We have Ken, we had Ken, Guile, and... Uh, the Boxer. Boxer theme. M. Bison. Yeah. Uh, uh, Balrog. Whatever you want to call him, depending on your region. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. Like That's the, just a testament to how good it was. The soundtrack's phenomenal. To the game, it like in each of those character themes really, really, like because that's another big thing about a character theme is like, does it really fit the character, you know? And each of their themes really does, you know. And here's another one though. 
on Super Nintendo, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, opposite of such a good guy like Ken is the fiend lord himself, Magus. Uh, Magus's theme, much like Ken's theme, really fits him with how like high action and high octane and stuff and excitability. Magus's theme fits him for just how dark it is. Uh, so let's go ahead and give Magus's theme a listen. This is, of course, composed uh, from Chrono Trigger, composed by the legendary Yasunori Mitsuda. Uh, let's go ahead and give it a listen. decide right <laughs> the theme is so terrifying <laughs> isn't it it's so scary the yesterday Mitsuda did a really good job with bringing out just how dreadful magus is yeah and uh so yeah uh when it comes to voting uh our uh, listeners have uh, quite a lot of options so if you'd like to vote we have a facebook page you can get a vote there we have a twitter account we have another vote there uh if you're a member of our discord Go to GameZillaMedia.com, jump on the uh, link we have there, and you can become a part of our GameZilla Media Discord and uh, get a vote there every week. And for all our patrons, for as low as $1 a month, you also get a bonus vote there on top of uh, some other really great perks. Uh, what are some of those uh, perks? Yeah, so if you go to Patreon.com slash GameZillaMedia, you can get onto that voting at the $1 mark. You get that vote for this bracket on top of the other ones like Craig said. But also at the $1 mark, you get early access to a retro relapse. So if you want to see our expressions on Double Switch, <laughs> spoiler, they're not good. <laughs> uh, you can go there, go to our YouTube page, find GameZilla Media, and watch it there. But Craig, what if I were to tell you there's more that we oh, offer on Patreon? Like what? If you are a $5 member, if you're generous enough to give us that $5, you get bonus episodes. Not just from The Legend of Retro, but everyone on GameZilla Media. So every month we release an episode. It's our Game Shark episode, our special one that we release where we do topics, we do our brackets, we do all sorts of lists, things uh, that we come up with, and uh, you get everything from GameZilla Media Network. So there's Noiseland Arcade, which features Craig. It's our Simpsons podcast. Yep. There's Noobs and Dragons, which is our D&D <laughs> podcast, also starring Craig as the <laughs> yeah, Dungeon Master. Woo. We have GameZilla Podcast, which is our main show that goes live on Mondays on Mixer. And then comes live on anywhere you download your podcast on Tuesdays. 
And then we have Last Action Podcast, which is our movie action podcast. So you get all of their extra content, mm -hmm. including ours, $5 a month. I think it's a sweet deal. That is a lot of content. Uh, that, on average, is, oh, let's see, uh, uh, quite a few hours of content every month for $5. Quite a few hours every month. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Let's see, less than a buck an hour. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely check out our Patreon. Uh, shout out to all of our Patreon members because we couldn't be doing this show without you. It definitely means a lot to Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And like we mentioned, hop into our Discord. Let us know if there's some things you love about en Enemy Zero or something we missed, like something that you know more about Eno that Craig and I would love to hear about. <laughs> hop in there. Let us know. Tell us what we missed. Tell us all, all your experiences. The rating of the game. game yeah. Uh, things like that. Yeah, we, we missed out we on were that. We interested in that. So. Uh, so, yeah, definitely reach out to us there. Uh, but uh, I tell you what, uh, Glitch, I think it's about time that we uh, wrap things up here for today. So we'll see you all next time when the legend continues. continues.